Remind me to not high-five the kids as they leave. Lydia broke my hand. That's a strong girl. This morning we are in this sermon series that's entitled A Strong Tower. Uh, We've been looking at the the passage out of Proverbs 18.10, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it, and they are saved. And so we have been taking a look at the different names of God, specifically in the Old Testament. And then uh, Carl's going to wrap up our service, our sermon series in in, uh, August as he talks about the I am statements of Jesus. Uh, But today uh, we're going to take a look at Adonai in Genesis 18, uh, verses 20 to 33. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, flip over to Genesis 18. Uh, We're going to read verses 20 uh, to 33. Then the Lord said... The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached to me. If not, I will know. And the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord, and Abraham approached God, and he said, Will you sweep away the righteous and the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And Yahweh said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. But Abraham, he spoke up again. He said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to Adonai, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? He said, if there are 45 people there, I will not destroy it. And once again, Abraham spoke to God and said, what if there's only 40 found there? And God said, for the sake of 40, I will will not do it. And he said, may the Lord, Adonai, be angry, but, but let me speak. What if there's only 30 people found there? He answered, I will not do, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And Abraham said again, now that I've been so bold to speak to Adonai, what if only 20 can be there, can be found there? And God said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, may the Lord, may Adonai not be angry, but let me speak just one more time. What if only 10 righteous people can be found in the city? And Yahweh spoke and said, for the sake of 10 I will not destroy it. And when Yahweh had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham, he returned home. Let's pray over this uh, passage. Let's pray over this time that we have together. 
Our Father, we, we come and we gather to worship and to honor who you are, your name. And as we read about your name here, I pray, Father, that your words will speak boldly to our hearts, that you will guide and lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit, and that, Father, your truth can be heard. I pray that you'll bless our time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you could hear that I was quite deliberate in the names that I spoke in this passage, because I want you to see how deliberate Moses, possibly Moses, who we think wrote the book of Genesis, recorded these names of God. There are three names mentioned in the text. Uh, you saw the judge, right? Right early, Abraham called God the judge. But whoever wrote this passage, whoever recorded this story, specifically used Yahweh and Adonai. Notice that when God spoke, the author used the word Yahweh. But when Abraham spoke to God, he used the word Adonai. Now, if you're a traditional conservative Jew, you would not have read the text like I did. Out loud, you would never have said the word Yahweh. You would have used Adonai every single time because there was so much respect for the name Yahweh. They refused to speak his name. So Adonai is actually used interchangeably with Yahweh throughout the Old Testament when traditional conservative Jews would read that name. Now, Adonai, it simply means Lord or Master. Yahweh is how God reveals himself, and Adonai is the posture we take when addressing God. Now, that is a clear and distinct understanding of those two words. Yahweh is how God addresses himself, that's how he reveals himself to us. Adonai then becomes our posture and the way that we approach God. Adonai is probably one of the, the most used terms for God uh, in the Old Testament. In Greek, it's translated kurios, which is Lord or Master. Now, as we enter this text, we have to remember that Abraham is 99 years old. The Lord has established and confirmed his promise to Abraham by changing his name from Abram to Abraham and through the covenant of circumcision, which we talked about last week. Now, earlier on in the story, you might have met a character by the name of Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. Abraham and Lot both left at the same time and their entourage, if you will, their livestock, their, the people who gathered with them had grown so great that they could no longer travel together. And so Lot ends up settling in this town of Sodom. Abraham continues to travel along. Now... The outcry of sin within Gomorrah and Sodom has grown so great to God that he's ready to judge the city 
where Lot is currently living. Are you as fascinated as I am with the exchange, with this conversation that Abraham has with God? Abraham shows this great courage and boldness as he just kind of works God down from destroying the whole city, suggesting maybe there might be just 50 righteous people within these cities. He's hoping Lot and his family is at least a few of them, right? But he keeps working his way down because I think Abraham even knows. Lot may be the only family that is righteous. And so this morning, as we think about Abraham's courage and boldness, and we think about the posture of the word Adonai, I want to kind of bring it together and take a look at, at the passage through that lens. And so if you're following along your notes, write this down first, because this is the posture that Adonai brings to the story of the word of God, uh, the name of God. Abraham has this humble posture as he approaches God. The, the word Adonai itself demands humility. Adon is the Hebrew word for my master. And so Adonai really means master of masters. Pastor uh, Tony Evans translates the Hebrew as owner of all. Abraham is declaring that Yahweh is his master. He is declaring that he himself is nothing but a servant or a slave to God. C.S. Lewis uses an illustration that I think is incredibly helpful. And I'm going to kind of personalize it here by pointing out that I love dogs. If you don't know much about me and, and Jessica, we, we love dogs. We have two dogs of our own. And if you think about walking dogs, there's something that's unique, right, between different people. Some people walk dogs, and others, dogs walk them, right? Now, I've trained dogs to listen and to obey my commands so they don't go off on their own, so they're not walking me. But when they're a puppy, they don't really understand, right? And so imagine that I'm walking my puppy, and there's a light pole between us. I can yank and pull on that dog, but if it's not listening, what's it going to do? It's going to get wrapped up in that light pole, right? The dog doesn't understand that when I'm giving its command, I'm trying to keep it from getting wrapped up in the light pole. And I remember walking Stevie, and she would do the same thing. She wouldn't listen to me, and she would end up just getting completely wrapped around that light pole. If the dog would just submit to my commands... He could get untangled and move forward. And what I've noticed is that the more the dog trusts me, the more they follow my commands. Now, there's a reason I think C.S. Lewis uses that illustration to help us understand a humble posture 
as we come to God. If we would just submit ourselves, humble ourselves, and follow God, maybe we wouldn't get in so much trouble. Jesus shares a very ironic parable in Matthew 21. He says, now what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, I want you to go and work in the vineyard. And his, his son, in boldness, responded to dad and said, no, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but later he changed his mind and he worked. Then the father said to the other son, the same thing, go and work in the vineyard. And his, he answered, I will, sir. But then he did not go. Jesus uses this parable to point out that some of the worst of the worst in the world, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, they've chosen not to listen to God, but they realized their lives were tangled up in sin and they needed to submit to God. And now they were following Jesus. Meanwhile, the best of the best the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the religious elites. They said that they will submit to God, but Jesus comes, and what do they do? They completely reject who he is. Knowledge of God's word, your length of time declaring yourself as a Christian does it matter if you don't have the humility to submit to God? And Adonai, that word itself demands humility, that he is the master and I am the service. So not only do we have a posture of, of, uh, of humility, but we also have this posture of self-awareness, don't we? Notice at the very beginning when God is uh, being addressed by Abraham, when he's addressing God, he says that I am nothing but dust before you. God, or I mean Abraham, Understood. He knew his place as he stood before God. Does that remind you of any parables that Jesus told? There's one in particular that came to mind, and let me share with you the story as recorded in the message. Jesus told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance, and they looked down their noses at the common people. And Jesus said, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers or crooks or adulterers or heaven forbid, like this text man. I fast twice a week and I tithe on all of my income. Meanwhile, the tax man, 
He was slumped in the shadows. His face was in his hands. And not daring to look up, he said, God, forgive me. Please give me mercy. I'm a sinner. And Jesus commented that the tax man, not the other, went home right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you are content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. I love that line. If we can just be self-aware, right, of who we are as we stand before the mighty God, he will make us more. Are you the tax collector or the parable or the Pharisee in this parable? It is so important that we are self-aware as we approach God. And Jesus gives a strong warning in in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is scary enough as it is. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform so many miracles And Jesus will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. We must be self-aware as we approach the God of heaven, as we approach our master, as we approach Adonai. I've got one final posture to discuss and that's the posture of, of uh, the posture of respect. I feel like Abraham really tiptoes this line between respect and disrespect. He really just kind of draws right up to that line and constantly says, "Try not to be too bold here, God, but will you?" Now, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a way that men and women approached God and worshiped God. There was a prophet by the name of Malachi who spoke out against some disrespectful practices of the Israelites during their sacrifices. If you were to invite me to to your house, I hope that you would respect me right? If I invited you to my house, I would respect you. I I wouldn't go and get meat that was rotten and feed it to you. And in those days, if somebody came over to your house, you, you probably wouldn't sacrifice the diseased animals and feed it to them. And yet, the Israelites were sacrificing their injured, lame, and diseased animals at the altar before God. And and, and God said to them, he said, a son honors his father. Malachi 1.6. A son honors his father. A slave 
honors his master. And if I'm a father, where's the honor that's due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? God is saying that he demands respect. And if Adonai is our master, where is the respect that is due him? Paul Harvey shares a true story about a woman and her frozen Thanksgiving turkey. The Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline to answer consumer questions about preparing holiday turkeys. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been frozen for 23 years. 23 years. The Butterball representative told her that the turkey would probably be safe to eat if the freezer hadn't been, had been kept below freezing for those entire 23 years. But the Butterball representative warned her that, that if the turkey isn't safe to eat, the flavor, the flavor itself was probably awful. So even if it was safe to eat, the flavor probably deteriorated to a degree that he didn't recommend eating it. And she said that she kept the freezer cold, right below freezing for 23 years. She said, I think it's safe to give it to our church. Oh, isn't that what we do? I think about respect to God. And I watch as Abraham is, a, is just trying to be overly respectful because he understood Adonai. Yahweh is the great I am. The name was so well respected and honored that Jews have been replacing it with Adonai as they spoke because the master is master of all masters. He is owner of all. And I think that it's incredibly important for us to evaluate ourselves this morning, to be self-aware, because he's the creator of the universe. And we are but sinners, amen? Sinners who desperately need a savior. And as we approach the table this morning, I think about this song that we're going to sing, the How Great, I, How Great Thou Art. Now, How Great I Am. It's the opposite of what we want to sing. Y'all know this song, right? Carrie Underwood made it famous. Alan Jackson made it famous. But the words are, are pretty important. Will you sing How Great I Am? Or will you sing how great thou art? We have three tables set up. I invite you to go to the table and take a cup. There's juice on the bottom. There's bread, no. There's bread on the bottom, the juice on the top. And I want you to hold these cups. We will take them together. And we're going to sing and reflect on our posture as we approach Adonai. Let's pray.
Father, I am uh, grateful that you are God. This morning, as we evaluate our posture before you, I pray that you will reveal to us if we need to change the way that we approach you. Maybe, maybe we're not being as respectful as we should. Maybe we're not bringing you the honor that you deserve. Maybe, maybe we are singing how great I am. And as we approach this table, I pray that it will bring us unity as we think about how badly we need a Savior. I pray that the table will unite us in our posture before you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.